the scripture reading this morning will be taken from Luke, the sixth chapter, in verses 39 and 40. <clears throat> and that will be on page 910 of the Bibles in the pews in front of you. This is Christ talking to his disciples. And he spoke a parable to them. Can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall into the ditch? And a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is perfectly trained will be like his teacher. It may not be a household name that we would recognize, but Fritz Kreisler was well known in Hamburg, Germany. In fact, he was one of the premier musicians in that area. Though people might not have seen his face, these were the days before television and the internet, they would have been very familiar with the songs that he played. And all across the region, they knew his name, they knew his sound, and so one day, as he was preparing to perform a concert in London, he was waiting for his ship to arrive so that within an hour it could turn and take him to London to prepare for this concert. And as he was walking around waiting for his ship to arrive, he wandered into a music store. And he started to look at the different instruments there, and he began to look at the music that they had on sale. And the clerk asked him, as he saw the violin case, that Mr. Chrysler was carrying, he asked him, he said, may I take a look at that? And he said, well, certainly. And the clerk looked at it, and it seemed as if he recognized it. And so he looked at it some more, and then he said, can I take this to the back in the shop real quickly? And so Mr. Chrysler said, well, certainly. And so he took it to the back, and then he returned with two armed policemen. And one of the policemen said, you're under arrest. Obviously, this was very confusing for Fritz Kreisler. And so he's standing there and he says, uh, why am I under arrest? And they said, well, it seems here that you're in possession of Fritz Kreisler's violin. He said, well, yes, that would make sense. That is who I am. And they said, oh, I'm not falling for that one. You can't pass yourself off as a world-class musician and get away with it here. We're going to have to take you back to the station. And so he was stuck. He knew that his ship was leaving in just an hour and he had an engagement in London that he couldn't be late for. He didn't have a lot of time for explanation, so he asked to see the violin. They gave it to him and he played one of the pieces that he was known for. And after they heard his sound, they realized he was who he said he was. And the embarrassed policeman allowed him to take his violin and to leave the store. If we took a poll of your friends and family members, what would be your defining characteristic? What would be the ultimate identity test that if we asked those around you to name that one specific characteristic that describes you, that they would be able to come up with it? What if you were dealing with someone who didn't know who you were, all they knew was your reputation, 
and you had to prove to them that you were who you say you are. What is that ultimate test? This morning, for just a few minutes, we're going to look at what Christ gives us as the ultimate test for any follower of Him. And when we meet those who may never have met us before, but have heard of Christ, have heard of God's Word, and have heard of the church, we are going to be called on to pass that ultimate test and to show them that identity marker that they will be able to see that this is a follower of God. So I'd invite you, if you haven't already, to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 6. That's where we'll be spending most of our time this morning. Luke chapter 6. As you're turning there, let me let you know how happy we are to have you here with us. And as we celebrate our Bible class emphasis day, uh, we want you to know that you are our welcome guests. We are thrilled that there were 709 with us in Bible class today. We're excited about that. We're also excited about the meals that will be taking place afterwards. And so, as you're here as our guest, please feel free to stay. If you didn't attend class, there are some meals prepared in the fellowship hall and also in the lower fellowship hall. We want you to be with us, to meet you, and to find a way that we can help you. As we think about Luke chapter 6, this is a very special time in Jesus' ministry. We see in earlier verses in Luke chapter 6, specifically 12 and 13, that Jesus spent an entire night in prayer to His Father before He selected the twelve apostles. Now isn't that a wonderful example? It was serious enough for Jesus as He's selecting the leaders that are going to take His Word into the world that He spends an entire night in communication with His Father. It's important for us when we're deciding who's going to lead us to communicate with God. And so we see Jesus doing that. And what we have here in this sermon that Jesus is sharing with His followers is the first lesson that Luke records us giving His newly appointed apostles. I mean, this is their basic training as He's preparing them to take His Word into the world. This is the first lesson that Luke tells us He shares with them. So it's important to know that when we spend our time at the feet of a master teacher, we can experience the same kind of basic training that those apostles had. So for just a few moments this morning, I'd like for us to listen to Jesus in this lesson and to share in this training session with the twelve and to see what Jesus has in store for us, the life that He calls us to. It's only going to be a matter of time before just a few miles from this area, there is Wilson County's first full franchise large bookstore. The store hasn't been built yet, but I can guarantee you that even having not seen the plans of the store or what it's going to look like, that one of the largest sections, if not the largest section of that bookstore, will be the self-help section. In fact, American publishers say that self-help books are the number one fastest growing franchise in publishing history. It's the most profitable area you can publish a book in. We're looking for ways to help ourselves. And obviously, that's healthy. We want to improve ourselves. But have you ever noticed that there's no self-help book that comes out and then immediately every other self-help author says, well, looks like he said it all. I guess I shouldn't publish my book. There's no one comprehensive guide to improving ourselves. And what if I told you that the sermon that Jesus is sharing with His disciples has been regarded as the best material for self-help and self-improvement we could possibly have. Not just by those who believe, but also for those who are experts in the field that aren't Christians. I'm reminded of the words of J.T. Fisher, a psychiatrist who described it this way. Here, in this sermon, rests the blueprint 
for a successful human life with optimism, mental health, and contentment. We have it all right here in this sermon. You may be more familiar with this material as it's presented in Matthew in the Sermon on the Mount. In fact, even if we don't know much about the Bible, we've probably heard of the Sermon on the Mount. Luke presents Jesus' same teaching in what is commonly referred to as the Sermon on the Plain, referring to Luke's description of where Jesus taught this on a flat place. And so as we think about the Sermon on the Plain, we're going to see a lot of the same material from the Sermon on the Mount. For the next three Sunday mornings, we're going to go through this basic training with our Lord and hear what He has to say. In Matthew's recording of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus refers to the old law a lot. You see, Matthew is writing to a Jewish group of people. And so Jesus is dealing with the book of Deuteronomy and, and, and Leviticus and those old laws. And He'll say many times, you've heard it said, but I say to you. Well, Luke has a different audience. Luke's audience might not have the background that this Jewish audience had, so Luke isn't going to have those kinds of statements. That's why a lot of what Luke records will be a little bit different than what Matthew records in his shorter version. And so whatever the case is, whether this was the exact same sermon as many believe, and they're just pointing to different audiences, we can understand that Jesus repeated these messages over and over again through his ministry. I mean, glancing through the New Testament, we see that the disciples rarely got it right on the first time, and we can relate to that. And so this morning, even if we've heard these words before, let's listen again as he begins in verse 39, saying, A blind man cannot guide a blind man, can he? Will they not both fall into a pit? A pupil is not above his teacher, but everyone, after he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. So as we go with Jesus this morning, as he tells a parable... We're setting the scene. This picture of present-day Galilee might give us a sense of what it would be like to sit at his feet and to hear him speak these words. And in these first couple of verses we're going to look at, he tells us two things that we cannot do. The first thing that we want to focus on that Jesus tells them that we simply cannot do is we cannot avoid becoming like our teachers. In verse 40, the goal of a teacher training someone is so that that person can become like them. We simply can't avoid it. Have you ever noticed that when you spend a good deal of time with someone, you begin to talk like them? Have you noticed that before? I never will forget a few months after being here in Mount Juliet. I went home to Memphis and I was talking to some friends and as, uh, as they said something I agreed with, I said, hey man, I hear you. And then I thought to myself, I've been spending a lot of time around David Shannon. That's something that he says a lot and that just kind of came out of my mouth. Hey, I hear you. When we spend a lot of time around people and when we respect our friends that we spend time with, we start to sound like them. There was a family that Catherine and I were friends with that had moved over to America from Belgium. They had two children. One daughter was five years old, and as she began kindergarten, she knew French, obviously, but she began to learn English. She learned English in West Tennessee. So while she had a beautiful French accent, she had the most pronounced West Tennessee Southern accent that you have ever heard. And so when she would talk to her parents, she'd speak in French, and then when she'd see her friends, she would say, come on, y'all, let's go. You know, she had that Southern accent. She had learned it from her teachers. We can't help that. We can't help but model ourselves after those people that we respect. It's just not something that we can avoid. Every disciple, when fully trained, will be like his teacher. And that's challenging for us. We have to really ask ourselves the question, we are allowing those who teach us to guide who we become. And we see the same transformation in the lives of the apostles. 
Picture yourself back at the feet of Jesus as he's teaching this, and look around at those 12 apostles that he's just appointed. Think of the Apostle John. In just a few chapters, in Luke chapter 9 and verse 54, Luke is going to tell us that John becomes so upset with a group of Samaritans that weren't receptive to them, he asks Jesus to bring down fire from heaven to consume them. Him and his brother James have been given the nickname Son of Thunder, and that name wasn't given lightly. It was there for a reason. He was upset, and he wanted immediate results. And so you see a Son of Thunder as he goes throughout his ministry end up in those, those, those books he writes toward the end of our New Testament, 1st and 2nd and 3rd John. He's now the Apostle of Love. He's gone from a Son of Thunder to an Apostle of Love. And it's very interesting when we look at his writings that he writes in 1st John, verses, verse 6 of chapter 1, He who says he abides in Him, speaking Christ, ought himself to walk just as he walked. Now, isn't that interesting for a second? Jesus has said all the way in Luke chapter 6, a disciple will be like his teacher. A student will be like his teacher. And John is saying years later, if we want to follow Christ, we need to walk like he walked. If Christ is going to be our teacher, we need to model ourselves after our teacher. Well, where did John get that idea? I believe the first time he would have heard it, at least that we know of, is sitting at the feet of Christ, listening to the sermon. As you continue to look around at those who are sitting by Christ, we also see probably the most famous apostle, Peter, that we often give the nickname of being impetuous, being a shoot-first, ask-questions-later kind of leader, and he was. But he was an eager follower. And we see him throughout his ministry. He does several good things, and then he does several things that show us he was folding under pressure. He was crumbling when it really counted. But then as we read through the book of Acts, see Peter's ministry, and as we read the letters he writes to churches, he's turned from an eager follower into a wise elder. He's turned to someone who's leading the church, giving them advice on, of all things, how to handle persecution. And it's very interesting, when we look at Peter's writings, he displays this same concept. When he says in 1 Peter 2 and verse 21, For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered from us, leaving you an example, that you should follow in his steps. Once again, there's that same idea. If we're going to be disciples of Christ, we're going to have to be like Him. And chances are, as he would have written this and thought of this concept, he would have remembered Jesus' teaching. Every pupil, when fully trained... ...is what kind of teachers are we allowing to form our lives? So there's one thing we cannot do. We cannot avoid becoming like our teacher. There's also another thing that Jesus tells us that we cannot do. We cannot lead people where we have never been. Look at what he says in verse 39. A blind man cannot guide a blind man, can he? Will they not both fall into a pit? We can't take people to follow us if we don't know the way. We can't help people develop faith if we have none. We won't be able to share God's Word with someone if we're not familiar with it ourselves. We won't be able to give God's Word and instill faith in our children if we don't have faith ourselves. We can't give people what we don't have. And as we think back on what it would be like to sit at Jesus' feet, we need to realize that this would have been a very serious challenge when they were asking themselves that same question, who were we allowing to lead us? Jesus would have been pointing to the religious leaders of the day. Calling the Pharisees blind would have been a major challenge to their authority. 
It's interesting that even later on in his ministry, Jesus would say the same thing. In Matthew chapter 15, he would say, there are blind leaders of the blind. And then, does this sound familiar? And if the blind leads the blind, both will fall into the ditch. Jesus is emphasizing that point. The apostles needed to understand who their leader was. Who was their teacher? Were they listening to the religious leaders of the day, or were they listening to him? And years later, separated from that context, the same question remains for us. Who are we allowing to teach us? And if we're allowing our co-workers to set the agenda for how we live and act, and we're going out on, on weeknights and living for the weekend, are we going to be surprised one morning when we wake up and find an emptiness that they just can't fill? Can the blind lead the blind? Can we lead someone if we don't know the way? If we allow our neighbors to set the agenda on how we live and what kind of car we drive and what items we buy for our house just so we can keep up with them and we wake up one morning and realize, is this all there is? Does my life really consist of just things that I've acquired? Should we be surprised? We've been following people who might not have known the way. When we think about who we allow to lead us, we need to understand that we're never at a moment where we're standing still. We're developing. We're growing into something. And we're either growing towards God and being formed into His image, or we're going the opposite direction. It's a challenging question. We can't avoid becoming like our teachers. And we also uh, cannot lead people where we've never been. And so as Jesus gives us two things we cannot do, He does close up this section by giving us a few things that we can do. Number one, if we're going to be a true disciple of His, one thing that we should do is examine ourselves. Look at verses 41 and 42. He says, Why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, Brother, let me take the speck out that is in your eye, when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. Now, if you're wondering whether or not Jesus had a sense of humor, I would ask you to think of this mental image he's creating. Historians tell us that this log or plank would have been larger than a two-by-four. Can you imagine signing up for eye surgery with someone who had a two-by-four sticking out of one of his eyes and just telling you, just hold still, you know, ringing out the instruments, just hold still, I'll get to it. You can imagine looking around the audience of Jesus' teachings and seeing the smiles and creep across people's faces as they laughed. It's, it's so foolish to think of allowing someone to operate on us that can't see clearly themselves. And as he was speaking specifically to the religious leaders of the day, he was saying it's so foolish for them to tell others what to do when they've got such a large plank in their own eye, when they've got such a large obstruction that they can't even see what they need to be doing. They're not even following in the right way, and yet they're trying to lead other people. We must examine ourselves. And what's interesting is that this passage doesn't relieve us of the responsibility to hold each other accountable. Sometimes we look at this passage and we think about Jesus' comments on being judgmental and not being critical and not judging others earlier in the sermon, and we think, well, hey, no one can tell me what to do. If anyone tries to tell me about a speck that I have in my own eye, I'll just point to the plank in theirs and I'm off the hook. I don't have to answer to anyone. Well, it's interesting that we are called to hold each other accountable. In fact, one of the clearest instructions we have in this regard is what Paul would say in the very first verse of Galatians chapter 6. When you'd see a brethren, if one of you is caught in a trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. And notice this last part of the verse. Considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. 
Isn't that the same principle Jesus is speaking of? You can help correct someone, but only after you've examined yourself. Look at verse, the end of verse 43. He says, you hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. You still need to help your brother and sister. You need to hold them accountable, but only after you've examined yourself. So if we want to be more like Christ, if we want to be a follower of His, we have to examine ourselves. We can't hope to correct problems in others' lives if we're unwilling to correct the problems in our own and to be susceptible to that same kind of helpful judgment and, and constructive criticism from our brothers and sisters in Christ. A true disciple, first of all, examines himself. And then second of all, Jesus would say, a true disciple produces fruit. <clears throat> Excuse me. He would say in verse 43, For there is no good tree which produces bad fruit, nor, on the other hand, a bad tree which produces good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For men do not gather figs from thorns, nor do they pick grapes from a briar bush. It's obvious to everyone within earshot of Jesus that a fruit that grows on a tree tells you what kind of tree that is. And Jesus is saying the fruit that comes from our lives tells you what kind of person that is. If we're Christians, we should be bearing fruit. And as we think specifically about the kind of fruit that we should be bearing, sometimes I feel like we have a misconception of that. And we think of Christians must be doing things that are seen outwardly by everyone that are flashy or maybe eye-catching. But I would encourage us to look at the fruit of the Spirit that Paul lists in Galatians 5. Look at these ingredients for the fruit of the Spirit. It's love joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. As we think about all the elements that are in that song that our children sing at Pew Packers and Vacation Bible School, not all of those are flashy. Not all of those are eye-catching. But all of those describe the fruit of the Spirit. And so as Christians, we're not only called to do things that might catch people's attention. We're not only called to go and to convert other people. We're not only called to, to go on these large mission trips or campaigns that everyone might see. We're also called to do the little things that go on behind the scenes that maybe no one knows about, but that show the fruit of the Spirit. I heard an older preacher once say that we didn't need to judge other people, but we needed to be fruit inspectors. And you kind of have that image of someone going through a grocery store and in the produce department looking at the fruit before they buy it. I think that's a pretty good image for us to think of. We don't need to be judgmental or critical, but we need to be aware of the fruit others put out, that others produce. If we're looking for someone to date or even marry, we need to look at the fruit in their lives. If we're looking for someone to spend time with, we need to look at the fruit that they've evidenced in their lives. A true disciple produces fruit. And Jesus ends this portion of teaching by saying that a true disciple purifies his heart. Let's look at verse 45. The good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth what is good. And the evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth what is evil. For his mouth speaks from that which fills his heart. If I'm having a difficulty saying things I shouldn't say, using words I shouldn't wor use, or talking about people when I shouldn't be talking about them, the challenge is not for me to control my physical mouth. The challenge is for me to purify my heart. Because ultimately, the nature and the content of my words is what reveals the true condition of my heart. And so I can judge what's taking place inside my heart by what's coming out of my mouth. And incidentally, so can everyone else around me. It's interesting that in that portion of Jesus' teachings we looked at earlier in Matthew 15, He would put it this way. He would say, those things which proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and those are what defile a man. In other words, when you say something that's unclean, when you say something that's not right, it's not just your mouth that's at fault, 
It's your heart that's at fault. And so it's a matter of the heart if I want to cleanse what I'm saying. I've got to purify my heart. There are a couple of things as disciples receiving this basic training we simply cannot do. We cannot avoid becoming like our teachers. And we cannot take people where we've never been. We can't give them what we never had. But there are a few things we can do. We can take Jesus' advice as he talks about those with a plank in their own eye and examine ourselves before helping others. We can remember what Jesus said about the fruit of a tree and produce fruit in our lives. We can also remember to purify our hearts so that what comes out of our mouths will be pure as well. What's interesting is we think about this concept of the student-teacher relationship, especially on Bible Class Emphasis Day, is that we don't get to decide whether we're a student or not. We don't get to make that decision. I mean, we might think that we're out of school or that we're done with school, but all of us are following and being taught by someone. And the question this morning is, are you ready to be a student of Christ? Are you ready to be a master teacher, to sit at his feet, to hear his word through the word that he's given us today that we can read from, that we can learn from, and to become more like him? Remember, the goal of our lives is to become like our teacher. What's your identifying mark? What do people know you by? How would people recognize you? Wouldn't it be wonderful if every one of us in here could have as our identifying mark a Christ-like spirit, an attitude that wants to be more like Him, and actions that reflect His commandments more every day. Not that we'd all be perfect, but that we'd all be reflections of the One who is perfect and has given us an opportunity to live with Him. You may be here this morning, and this is the first time that you have heard the teachings of Jesus. This is the first time you've read from God's Word. And if there are any questions or anything we can help you with, we are more than willing to spend time with you and to study God's Word together. It may be that you're ready to become a student, to put Christ on in baptism, to raise up and to walk that faithful life that is trying to be more like Him. It may just be that you needed a refresher course in the basic training of being a disciple of His. Whatever our need is, every one of us has a great deal to think about as we reflect on this passage. And if there's any way that we can help you, please come forward as we stand and sing together.
We are thrilled that you're here with us for Bible class, and uh, we want you to stay around and to eat with us. I would remind those of you in the simulcast area, if you could help us set up some tables and chairs as we're done here uh, so that we can have room for everyone to eat. Uh, I've asked a few of our young men to go and to hand these out as we leave this, this morning. Uh, this is a series that will be taking place uh, coming up next week on Sunday nights. As we think about the book and the movie that's about to come out, The Da Vinci Code, we have a golden opportunity to answer some questions that people are asking. People are asking about the Bible. How did we get it? They're asking about Christ. How did he live? And we want to be prepared for that. And so if you would, grab one of these. And if you have a friend, someone at work or at school that you think would be interested, we'll have two Sunday nights in a row uh, where we deal with this issue. And we want to make sure that we take full advantage of a teachable moment. And so we're thrilled to do that. We're also thrilled that tonight, after our services, our, our pew packers will display what they've been learning. There's no better way to celebrate Bible Class Emphasis Day than to let our young children come up and show us what they've learned. So if you could make sure that your children are here, even if they haven't participated in it for the past few weeks or even months, we want them to be here with us and to learn together. And so we're excited about today, and uh, we're glad that you're here. We hope that you can be a part of all of these upcoming activities. It's good to see everyone here this morning. To our visitors, we especially welcome you, and we invite you to come back and be with us at any opportunity that you might have. At this time, if you'd be passing your attendance cards, please, down to the end of the aisles. Our young soldiers will pick those up during the final song. Our sympathy is expressed to Dot Neighbors on the passing of her sister, Anita Bonchez, also to Pearl Cross on the loss of her sister, Helen Haynes. Jack Stanfield will have knee replacement surgery this Thursday. Seth Cantrell, Lil Tucker's grandson's brother-in-law, is back in the States from Iraq. He was in an auto accident and had bleeding around his heart and lungs. We will be posting his address for cards and prayers. It's good to see Marshall Wilhite and Elmer Derryberry back with us this morning after their recent illnesses. Amy Hosey, daughter of Ralph and Rosemary Fox, is in ICU at Vanderbilt, may undergo dialysis. We want to keep uh, Katie Spencer and her family in our prayers at this time as well. Outreach team number one will meet down front after service tonight to pick up carts. We'll conduct the worship service at Mount Juliet Healthcare this afternoon at 3 o'clock. Everyone is invited. The Winter Youth Series continues tonight for 6th through 12th graders at Hartsfield Pike Church of Christ in Gallatin. Meet here at the building at 445. We'll return about 915. Supper will be served there. Any adults who would like to help out with this, your help would be appreciated. Please talk to Phil about that. 6th through 12th grade Bible study Tuesday night. The young ladies serving Christ banquets, the 6th through 8th graders, will be Tuesday night at 630. There will be a quilting workshop Saturday, March 11th from 10 to 3. There will be a meeting of the elders, deacons, and ministers next Sunday. The widow's luncheon also is next Sunday, and the adult advisory committee will meet next Sunday. There will be a meeting for those interested in playing men's softball right after service this morning. That uh, meeting will be in room 206 across from the library. The Young at Heart banquet meeting will be uh, today at 5 o'clock in the library. This is for those helping with the Young at Heart banquet committee. There will be a summer camp meeting for adults who can help out this year, Wednesday night after service in room 308. High schoolers will be going to Ryan's and Hermitage after service this morning. There will be a bus leaving right after service if you need a ride. And uh, we'd ask those again in the simulcast area this morning to exit as quickly as you can so that we can set up tables, and we'll also need some help getting those tables set up. 
for the luncheon. Now, after our final song, William Walden will have a closing prayer. Brother Kevin mentioned this already, but let me just emphasize, any adults or college-age, 20-somethings, who are planning to help with summer camp this year, uh, the meeting Wednesday night is a very important meeting, so if you could be there, be after class in room 308 Wednesday night, so please try to be there. 570 will be our closing song, 570. Let's all stand and sing. <clears throat> Each day I'll do our golden deed by helping those who are in need. My life on earth is but a span, and so I'll do the best I can. Last evening sun, last evening sun. pray. Our Father in heaven, we are thankful for this day that you have given us to come together in this building. We hope and we pray and we believe of one accord and of one mind, and we're thankful that we can meet to worship you without any hidden agendas, but our only purpose here is to worship and to, to praise you and to glorify your name and to lend encouragement one toward another. Father, now as many of us will uh, eat in this building, we are thankful for the food which has been provided. We are thankful for those who uh, got it ready. And Father, may it be a blessing to us. Now be with us through this day. Forgive us of our sins. And we pray in Christ's name. Amen.